the digital side hug. We're back. All right, I've got Deech Kirk with me. Now, Deech, your real name is Dietrich. Right, Dietrich after Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You were named after Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I, now, this, I did not know. There's a few things I do know about you, but I did not know that you were named after Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So, quickly, parents, the story. My story. parents are huge fans of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. My first name is Steven, so I'm named after Steven, first martyr, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer was also martyred, and I thought that was really cool. So I was old enough to wonder what that really meant and what my parents were trying to say. <laughs> right. So, um, Your name. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, it's really cool that you've ended up in ministry. Um, tell us real quick. Now, you're a Memphis Tiger fan, and we're going to get to that. But that's not exactly why you're on this podcast with us today. What, what, what is it that you do, and why have I asked you to be a part of the Digital Side Hug? Yeah, so I'm the executive director of a ministry called the Center for Youth Ministry Training. And we have and offer a graduate residency for those who are in their first three years of youth ministry. We uh, provide for them a Master's of Arts in Youth Ministry degree through our seminary partner, Memphis Theological Seminary, while also providing them coaching um, during their first job uh, over their first three years, helping them learn the practical skills they need to be successful. The Center for Youth Ministry Training. That's right. CYMT. CYMT. And uh, that's, a, that's a cool program that we're going to hear more about in a little bit. Um, and we're going we're, we're gonna to start with something that I'm calling uh, Blitzkrieg Get to Know Me. Deech, are you ready? I'm ready. And I may call you Deech. Absolutely. And I guess if I, I, I weren't able to call you Deech, uh, you, you would tell me, but, but let's go with it. And by the way, it's D-E-E-C-H. That's right. Okay. When I first met you, I assumed there was a T in there somewhere. I don't know why. Yeah. But it'd be more likely for you to think it was like beach with a D. So B-E-A-C-H. Yeah, A. I know. I know. It's really weird. But I love your name. And we're going to start a, a chain reaction, which is going right now. And then we are going to ask you some questions. So, uh, all right. Let's begin with this one. Um, when you were in high school, you were known as the guy who... When I was in high school, I was known as the guy who was smart and also athletic. Smart and athletic? Cool. No, I tried to hide that. I tried to be a secret nerd, but it didn't work real well. <laughs> secret nerd. So you, you, you... I graduated fifth in my class. There were three, So you were a nerd, you just were, people didn't know it. They, well, they did. They learned. But okay. there were... Three people who graduated with perfect 4.0. Two people who graduated who made one B. All those people had to give speeches. I intentionally made two Bs so that I wouldn't have to give a speech at my graduation. Nice. So you were a secret nerd. You, you were on a mission to avoid giving a speech at your high school graduation. Exactly. I love it. Okay. Uh, who was your favorite elementary school teacher and why? My favorite elementary school teacher was Miss um, Miller. She was really good at math, um, and I enjoyed how she turned math into fun. Um, she made math fun. That's my best answer That's for that. Great. And she was no, a Christian, that... and you could tell. Um, I went you could back... tell in math in math that yeah, she I went, was... I went back later in life and uh, went and visited her at school and let her know that I knew that she was a Christian based on how she carried herself in public school. So That's really cool. She was cool public school math teacher that you knew uh, was a Christian. Yeah, she didn't ever tell us, but we, That's awesome. you could tell. Uh, my, my dad is a math teacher, and who also teaches... If I had him, he probably would have been my favorite. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Although he didn't do elementary. Okay. Uh, what is the spirit of Christmas? What's your favorite, your go-to Christmas carol? Yeah, it's got to be Joy to the World. Um, Good one. It, yes. It just comes to mind. It's easy to start. I'm not a great singer, but you can, <laughs> you can get a joy out there and everybody you know knows where you're headed with that. I thought about asking you to go ahead and sing for us yeah. here on the podcast, but but the chain reaction music would, would clash. Unless you want to. No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, I've got a uh, couple of tiger questions for you. Now this is this is University of Memphis Tigers through the through the years and, and in honor of this podcast since DJ I know you're a Memphis Tiger fan I'm wearing my Tigers visor uh, of course we don't play a game until you know Friday night but uh, this is I don't know if you can tell but a, a girl from my youth group uh, created this with puff, puffy paint it's a Memphis Tiger shirt this is Robert Dozier and Antonio Anderson the two most winningest players in the history of college NCAA basketball until of course. They had the wins stripped away from the 2008 yeah. season, which I, you know. You didn't. You're not. You're about to ask questions, so you're not. I don't, you, yeah. You, you didn't ask for this, but what you didn't know was that at last year when we went to the home game, when they asked for the halftime shot person, I was selected, and I got to take a Robert Dozier shot. You did. I buried it. Did you really? For $100. The Robert Dozier shot, which if it had gone in, we would have won the national championship in 2008. Not that one, because he missed it. You're talking about the one one. he actually made. This is one he actually made. It was the Legends Classics. They showed a video of Robert and um, a shot he made to win a game, and I was supposed to recreate it, and I I did. This was it in, in Memphis? Yeah, and the crowd went wild. In FedEx Forum, absolutely. It was amazing. oh, Beach, that's brilliant. Yeah. I, I don't, I've never even been on the floor of the forum. My, my daughter didn't notice that I made the shot, but she did think it was cool <laughs> to hang out with Pouncer. So yes, uh, 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 one of the faves there. Since they can't allow Tommy the Tiger three right. into the FedEx Forum, the live Tiger. Okay, now uh, from the Dana Kirk years, who was your favorite Tiger? Yeah, can't pick one. Um, I would like to, but I'm gonna go with Dwight Boyd and Vincent Askew, and then best name Baskerville, Baskerville. Holmes. Yeah, yeah, Baskerville Holmes had a great. I was sort of expecting either Baskerville or Elliot Perry, um, but I loved your choices. It's hard to choose between those guys. Doom Haynes could have been on the list. All right, what about? We had this conversation earlier. I could ask you about the Larry Finch years, but I kind of suspected I would know who it was, and indeed, of course, Penny. Penny Hardaway, and tell us the tell us the story so, briefly. We both played for the same AAU team, East Memphis YMCA. He was on the under seventeen team. I was on the under fifteen team, and so before he grew to be six nine, he was about six four, <laughs> and I was six two, and we would match up against each other in practice. You guarded really. Penny Hardaway. Yeah. Was there ever a day where you got the better of Penny Hardaway in practice? Sure. When he was six. Four. Oh, that's great. Um, then I moved away and came back, and we reconnected when he was at the University of Memphis. Um, so that was fun. That is cool. I love that. Okay, Calipari Tigers. Calipari. CDR was by far my favorite player to watch. Um, really loved Rodney Carney yeah. and how he could fly. He was a high flyer. Explosive. All right, Pastner, current Tiger. Oh, you want a current Tiger yeah, what or about, somebody who's... Well, no, somebody from the, t- from the Josh right. Pastner years. Oh, we can't. Uh, DJ by far. DJ Stephens, yes. just because of his heart. I mean, he couldn't shoot it when he arrived, but he could always jump. But I loved how hard he worked. And he he has a he had a clip in one shining moment He's from amazing. last year, and you knew he would. Uh, all those highlights that those of you Tiger fans that are listening to this podcast, and by the way, youth ministers, if you're listening, wondering when we're going to get to youth ministry, you know, the, we'll, we'll get there. 
Um, but Tiger fans will notice that we skipped over the tick price years. Did they happen? That was intentional. Yeah, <laughs> We've erased yeah. them. You remember how the NCAA erased the victories from 2008 season? Tiger fans have erased the memory of tick price uh, from, from our memory base. All right, so now, there's a button in front of you, Deech. If you press the button, one member of your CYMT staff breaks his or her leg later today. It's, it's not a severe break. You know, it's, it's not a life-changing kind of traumatic break, full recovery, et cetera, et cetera, but a break, the pain, trip to the hospital, et cetera, okay? If you do not press it, every member of the CYMT staff has to have a root canal performed next week. Do you press the button or not? <laughs> you can't choose the member of the staff. It's random. It could be you. No. But if you don't press the button, every member of your staff gets a, right. has a root canal next week. See, this leads me to youth ministry because you know those would you rather books. <laughs> yes, the would yes. you rather books are horrible youth ministry tools. No, but the, but the this are. is this is a there's a button in front of you. It's way different from Just would you rather. Just because we're not on video doesn't mean that there truly is a button. No, it's um, an imaginary button, and you only have thirty seconds to press. I mean, it. I watched this poor youth minister say to some some kid one time, would you rather die of this or cancer? And his dad had his, died of cancer. Is that what, what the story? Had cancer. Oh. And you got a room full of people who've got and you, you Are you trying to that. tell me someone on your staff just broke their leg earlier this morning? No, I'm not. If I had to break somebody's leg versus giving everybody a root canal, I would break my own leg. Well you can't choose for it to be your own leg. Why you didn't it's, say that? I did. I, I actually did. I said it's got. It's a random member of your staff. You don't know who it's going to be. It could be you. Oh, so if I push the button, some random member breaks their leg. Some random Versus member of your staff. Oh, sure. We'll break somebody's leg. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Randomly. Okay. Morris Gregoire uh, has a Facebook page called Asking Can Be Fun. Okay. And you and I know working with teenagers, it, questions can be incredibly valuable. Uh, and I love Morris Gregoire's sense of humor, and he sometimes asks the perfect question at the perfect time. He's actually asking can be fun as a sponsor of the of the podcast. So, question number two thirty six from Asking Can Be Fun: Can you, Deech Kirk, honestly say that you are unafraid to travel within the Bermuda Triangle? I can honestly say that it would make me nervous. <laughs> to fly yes. I knew it. I'm the same way. I, I, fear is the wrong way to put it, but but maybe I would be a little nervous. Okay. So, Deech, this podcast is named Digital Side Hug for many reasons. One of which is just to say to people out there uh, in the youth ministry world, this is a podcast that hopefully is going to speak your language and hopefully you'll be blessed by it. So the National Conference on Youth Ministries is coming up in a few weeks. A lot of Church of Christ youth ministers will be gathered together in Daytona uh, talking about youth ministry, trying to get better at being youth workers. I wanted you to be on the podcast because I have a lot of respect for what you do. I mean, I've known of your career here at Brentwood United Methodist uh, when you were a youth pastor here specifically. But then also, uh, I've watched CYMT become this really cool youth ministry training uh, organization that I have a lot of respect for. Um, so you, you mentioned earlier what it is that you're doing. When you, you, you were first um, in youth ministry proper as a youth pastor at, at a couple of different congregations for 13 years, mm -hmm. and then you transitioned into leading leaders. So how did you know that it was time to make that shift. I, you know, there had to be things about youth ministry you knew you would miss, 
Oh, and there are. Sure. And, 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 and talk about, how'd you know God was calling you to that? Well, <clears throat> the, uh, the journey of the Center for Youth Training really has to do with my own personal call. And, and in the United Methodist Church, where um, I'm ordained, there is no logical way to become a youth pastor. Um, there was no specific training, and so when I heard that call and began asking questions about how you became a youth pastor, nobody had any answers. So I just fumbled my way through it, and I got a job, and I eventually went to seminary, and I was in seminary when um, some of my friends had gone off to Princeton, which had started a MDiv with an emphasis in youth ministry in Asbury Theological Seminary mm-hmm. in Kentucky, who had also started one. So they'd gotten these degrees and come back and started in churches. And what I learned from talking to them was is that despite the fact they had a whole ton of head knowledge about youth ministry, they had almost no practical experience. And so they were extraordinarily frustrated. Um, and in some ways, I was the exact opposite. I had had no training and was just lucky enough to be a church full of grace that allowed me to figure those things out. And so I met with one of my friends, totally frustrated. I went back to church history class, didn't pay any attention and God laid on my heart this vision for this thing that I called a youth ministry institute at that point. Yeah. And I wrote out, um, okay, we need to train pastors, both practic- youth ministers, both practically and theologically, and here's a way we could do that. Yeah. And it might look like this. You were sitting in history class at Divinity School. Right. And wrote all writing this, thing, this down. Out, writing all this out. That's awesome. And... Um, after I'd done that, I pitched it to anybody who'd listen. I pitched it to the seminary professor, uh, uh, president. I pitched it to undergraduate school presidents. To We have bishops in the Methodist Church, mm-hmm. our, our bishop. And I was 27 years old, so most people looked at me and said, God, isn't that great? He's just so excited yeah. about What a youth. cute 27-year-old. He's so excited about yeah. youth ministry. And so uh, the timing for the vision that I felt like God had given me was not right. Eventually, we came to Brentwood. And I saw that as a potential um, placement that would open up more possibilities and maybe that the uh, Youth Ministry Institute would someday come to exist. And about six years into it, Mark DeVries and I had breakfast. And, and this is six years into it, uh, about 2005? All right, so we launched in 2006. So 2005, we had breakfast. Okay. And, and, and DeVries, uh, who we, you know, people listening to this know from family-based youth ministry, was up the road at First Press. Yeah, he's a whopping mile and a half up the road right. at First Press, Nashville. We're having breakfast, talking about something totally different. And at this point, I'm 33, and he looks at me and he goes, so what do you want to do when you grow up? And, <laughs> the classic youth ministry right. question, right? Yeah, and I looked at him. I said, well, I want to create a place where people can learn how to do what we've learned how to do, where they can learn to sustain themselves, yeah. to be highly effective as youth pastors and make it for the long haul. And uh, he said, well, that's really interesting. My senior pastor and I were praying about that need in the Presbyterian church just two weeks ago. Um, I drew up a little document what it might look like. I said, hey, I got a document. Now, mine is at that point... Um, seven years old. Right. Um, Mark wrote his two weeks earlier. We traded emails and we'd written the exact same thing. Wow, that's great. At which point I realized maybe God wanted us yeah. to do something yeah. with that. So, so at that point you're like, you know, that was that was like a calling for you to do, right. to just do it. And and I know he's he's the co-founder of this thing with right. you. Um, I think if if uh, 
it's seven years before I had written something that Mark DeVries and I had crossed, you know, sort of in the mail, our, our emails looked ex- exactly the same. I would have drawn the same conclusion. Yeah. So that had to be exciting. So that was exciting. And, Thinking this and is going to happen. Felt, well, because it felt like such a godly vision, it felt like I was stepping into what God had asked right. me to do. Now, originally, I had hoped to be both the youth pastor at Brentwood Methodist Church and direct the youth ministry training program. Um, but in the process of creating it, it became clear that I would shortchange both sides, that the youth ministry deserved more than a director who only had half of his time to give yeah. to um, moving it forward. Right. Um, and there was no way, I mean, people kept telling me, you can't start up a nonprofit business with 50% efforts. You're going to have to get in there and get dirty. And so I came home and told my wife that I had quit my job yeah. at the church to start this nonprofit with enough money from the two churches to get us through about six months. So the two churches being First, First Prez and Brentwood. Uh, yeah. Brentwood United you know, Methodist. Together. And did the staff here, I mean, when you went to your senior pastor and said, or, or the board, I don't know yeah, who you have to so, clear this with, or the bishop, and you said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do something. You know, I think God wants me to do this. Were they like, do it? Or was it more like, at, we need you here running our program? No, the senior pastor was really supportive. At our ribbon-coming ceremony, he reminded me, I arrived at the church before he did, and so when he got here, when I had applied for the job, I would shared my vision and kind of said that someday I hope to do this kind of thing. Well, he didn't know anything about that. In our mm-hmm. very first meeting, just the two of us, he's asking about how the youth ministry was doing and all that stuff. All I wanted to get to was, hey, someday I'm going to create yeah. this place. And I'd forgotten I told him that, but six years later, he it, happened, it was yeah. like... I remember when this young whippersnapper youth minister told me we're going to do this, and, and here we are doing it. So he was really supportive. Um, his greatest sense of relief re- relief around the situation came when I came in and fired myself. When I came in and said, hey, I've been praying about this. Mm-hmm. I don't think I should be in charge of both. And he said, yeah. well, good. I'm so glad that you've come to that realization because I didn't have enough political power to fire you. Yeah, right. <laughs> and tell you to go do that. Um, How long did you try to do both? I didn't try to do it at okay, all. Okay, so you so it, before this even CYMT got started, you had given up the idea of trying to have one foot we in were in, Yeah, we had done the prep work for launch, and so we created the organization, and then at the point where we were going to need somebody go working full-time yeah. and go live, um, we hired my uh, junior high youth pastor to be in charge of the youth ministry, and okay. I moved out of the way. That's amazing. So now, so you're still here, obviously. You're, yep. you're working at a at a you know a house on the campus mm-hmm. here. Of course, nobody. This isn't video, so nobody can see this. But um, you're a volunteer at the program you used to lead. Yeah. You're now like a small group coach or something in the in the ministry. So I um, I went through a two year sabbatical to create space so that people would quit asking me about the yeah. youth ministry and the uh, assuming you're in charge, right? right Travis got. To fully be in charge, and I got out of the way. Um, and then eventually, I started looking for ways to get back into a role, and the role that I assumed was volunteer role. Um, so I'm a junior high volunteer on Sunday mornings uh, when we break up into small. Our Sunday mornings look a whole lot like youth groups. So when we break up into small groups to discuss with six or eight kids, I'm out there with a, just yeah. like a normal adult leading the stuff. Well, when um, I walked in here, we started talking about you know the interview, and I said, now, you used to be in youth ministry. You were like, hold on. I'm still doing youth ministry. Yeah. I mean, that's what I still do. I love that, that no, you're I, getting to I do would, that. I miss, I miss being in charge, but I would miss more 
um, hanging, being around kids. And it, it was being an unfair place to try to lead from, to lead youth ministers and how to become a youth minister if you didn't still have your foot in the water right. being around kids. Otherwise, you're speaking from this place of um, uh, this is just not genuine. So for six, for the past seven years, mm-hmm. you've been leading an organization that, that prepares and trains. You partner up churches to host, essentially, to, to employ mm-hmm. um, youth ministers for three years while they get graduate training, a master's in youth ministry, um, which is obviously very different from what the average middle school pastor, youth group pastor is doing with, with middle schoolers. What do you miss about the old full-time youth ministry role with students? And, and what about this just brings excitement that, that you couldn't have gotten any other way? Um, probably the thing I miss most is that when you're, when you're in the trenches every day of the week, you're walking more closely with the young people who you're mentoring and discipling and walking with. Um, at this point, my volunteering time because of my small children has not allowed me to jump in wholeheartedly into like a small group where I'm working with eight to ten guys or, um, or high schoolers all the way through. I look forward to doing that again. So that's probably the piece I miss the most is that fingerprint on somebody's life for the long haul. Um, Right now, I'm a part of a team who's making those fingerprints. So I miss that piece. What I love about what we do now, I love seeing other people have what I just said I miss. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the burnout rate for mainline youth ministers is 3.9 years. Um, 3.9 years after they start, they would rather do anything but work in a church. And what we've been able to do is help young young pastors who are called develop the um, discipline and gather the skills they need to succeed for the long haul. But what brings me the greatest joy is watching them have those moments that I miss. So they call you and they tell you about, hey, this happened with this, this kid who was going through this stuff. Um, and it was awesome. Or this kid gave their life to Christ, and it was awesome. And, and you know, and we had this retreat, and you know, sometimes it's because we had a lot of kids come. They're excited about that. But usually, the deeper issue is that they had these great spiritual moments with those those teenagers. So I live vicariously through them. Yeah, <laughs> it's worth doing because more kids are being touched, yeah. and more folks are experiencing the love of Christ. Um, because they're more effective youth ministers who are out there. Um, I, I'm as I read about the program, and you can go online and look at this. Um, read about it at cymt.org. Cymt.org. And so there's the you know the church component that hosts and employs and pays a stipend to this minister, provides housing, etc. There's the graduate school component, which is the schooling and the learning. It's the theological uh, element. But then I love that you've got coaches that are right. connected, you know, ministers who've been, was it 12 years in yeah. ministry? Uh, so you connect all these people and you click on there and you look at these coaches and you read about who they are and you think, that is so cool that, that these guys are mentoring and walking with and leading for an entire three-year process. And then, of course, beyond, because that's the way mentoring works, that connection remains. So... That, to me, is one of the most life-giving and exciting parts of it. Do you get to be a coach? I, I do, um, for a similar reason that I keep my foot in the water with, uh, with youth ministry. Um, as the executive director, I mean, I have these jobs of fundraising and organizing and maintaining visions and stuff. And 
most of the rest of our staff actually does what we do. But so that I can stay connected to how well we're doing what we do, um, I have two students that I coach. Um, and so we talk to each other on a weekly basis, meet face to face when we can. Um, and we're working through a pretty basic process every week. I'm asking them, mm-hmm. what are they excited about? I mean, what do you want to celebrate? Because one of the things we do terribly in the church is celebrate our successes. And um, I think youth ministers can resonate with that, that something awesome happened and you want somebody to tell yeah. who, who gets it. Yeah. You know, sometimes your spouse gets it. Um, right. But if you don't, especially if you don't have a spouse, you're like going home to tell your dog who, yeah. you know, just doesn't get as excited as you want <laughs> like for them to. So having a place for them to share their joys, um, helping them have the discipline of seeing forward to the tasks that they need to be working on, just the practical components of the ministry, mm-hmm. giving space for them to ask questions around situations going on in their churches, um, personal prayer concerns. And so it's both coaching. There's a little bit of spiritual direction that goes along with it. Um, and you, you do that on a weekly basis, and then you answer the phone when they call. Um, because it doesn't necessarily happen in the weekly meeting. Sometimes the, the phone call that yeah. says, hey, I've got a kid who's cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, we talked about this in class, but could you remind me <laughs> right. exactly? What do I do right now? What do now? I do right What would now? you do? Yeah. What, do what, what would you do? Um, or I think this kid's cutting and, and helping them work through those things. So having a, you mentioned you know, veteran youth mm-hmm. ministers, what we've got. So we look for coaches who are veteran youth ministers who what they've done is made a ton of mistakes yeah. and survived. They're not, they don't have all the answers, but they know um, what it's like to fall on your face and how to get back up again. And so we don't, we tell our coaches to let our youth ministers fall on their faces. Mm-hmm. We warn them, Hey, if you keep doing that, it's going to hurt. Um, but then we right. dust them up and pick them up. And we like the word coaching cause we kind of give them a kick and say, Hey, get back in the game. Right. It's going to be okay. Well, and I, and I just love the idea of a church signing on, knowing they're going to get a guy yeah. that's made some mistakes. I mean, we're in this for three years, and of course, I'm sure there's a level of mistake that you, you know, yeah, obviously. I know the coaches love us because mm-hmm. most churches have a hard time finding good quality candidates. We bring them a great candidate for ministry, and right. then we make them up front sign off on the fact that they're not a perfect church. Acknowledge right. we need help too. You got problems too. We, got, we need help too. And so the coach works with the young youth minister, but also works with the leadership of the church to help them get on the same page and make sure that there's a nice fertile ground for developing youth ministry. Deach, I've got a, I've got a bunch more questions. Um, We've reached, you know, a point in the podcast where typically we're, I wonder if, if I could have a part two with you, would that be possible for us to invite you back onto the podcast? Um, Who knows when, perhaps in 30 or 40 seconds. Would that be possible for us to do that? All right, so we're going to wrap this one up. There, there's currently no actual physical hug that's happened between me and Deach. We're going to save that for round two. Um, and here's my promise uh, to the Memphis Tiger fans. Uh, we, there will be a reference to the Memphis Tigers in podcast in, in part two of this uh, interview with Deach Kirk. Uh, for the rest of you, and especially Vol fans, I can tell you, It'll be a, a very small portion because I want to find out more about this program. We'll do it on the digital side hug next time.